1: Good evening. We'd intended here to bring you an exclusive interview with the member of Professor Christine Blasey Ford's legal team just hours from tomorrow's morning, tomorrow morning Senate Judiciary Committee deadline for her to signal her intentions about testifying against Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Late today, citing active efforts to reach agreement with the committee, her lawyers canceled the interview. They told us they believe it might harm the process by engaging with the media and that their entire focus is ensuring a safe and fair hearing, which of course makes perfect sense. We certainly look forward to having them on in the future. Right now, though, there is breaking news on a conference call they had with staffers for the Judiciary Committee. Sinachi Jim Acosta has the details for us. He joins us now. What are you learning? Yeah.
2: Uh, that's right, Anderson. This call wrapped up uh, just a short while ago. It involved uh, aides for the Senate Judiciary Committee on the GOP side, Democratic side, also uh, attorneys for Christine Blasey Ford. And they were uh, basically going through some of the stipulations uh, that the Ford legal team has for how this is going to work if she is to participate. Uh, one of those stipulations being they do not want to do this on Monday. Uh, according to a source that I spoke with who is familiar with what happened on this call, uh, she's pretty adamant about this. Christine Blasey Ford does not want to testify. On Monday, and now that sounds like an open question. This hearing could happen uh, later on in the week. Uh, Anderson, this source, uh, described uh, the, the call as having some agreements, some disagreements. Uh, There was also some talk about uh, these threats that have been made against Christine Blasey Ford uh, and her concerns about her safety, her legal team's concerns about her safety and how they might be able to deal with all of that. Uh, Anderson, one thing that we should also note, and it's something you just mentioned a a short while ago, uh, that is, is that one of the reasons uh, why uh, Christine Blasey Ford's uh, legal team is canceling some of these interviews uh, that they had set up is that they wanted to show some good faith to the other side. And according to this source, uh, that was a welcome sign. It, it, It signaled to them that there's sort of a commitment there to get this done. And according to this source and the words of this source, quote, we want to work this out. Uh, Anderson, one other uh, interesting prospect in all of this that I think really needs to be underlined and, and highlighted, and that is that the, the conversations are continuing inside the Senate Judiciary Committee to have a female attorney, a prosecutor or, or litigant of some kind, uh, to represent the all-male GOP uh, side of the Senate Judiciary Committee. I was talking with this source earlier this evening who said, Said. Essentially, they, they don't want to have the image out there to the American people of a group of uh, aging uh, men on the Senate GOP side uh, quizzing and questioning and interrogating uh, Christine Blasey Ford. They would rather see a female prosecutor do that. Anderson. Is there any
1: reaction today from the White House on the, the possibility of, of a hearing or a late
2: hearing? Well, the president, as you know, he left for this rally that's going to happen in Las Vegas later on this evening. But uh, the deputy chief of staff, Bill Shine, uh, spoke to reporters just briefly and said that the White House still stands uh, behind Judge Kavanaugh 100 percent. He he has been engaged in these prep sessions all week long. I talked to a source familiar with these uh, prep sessions who said that uh, Judge Kavanaugh was ready on Monday. He was ready on Tuesday. Uh, he was ready on Wednesday. He's ready to go. He wants to uh, clear his name. And in fact, uh, the White House did put out a statement from Judge Kavanaugh earlier this evening saying he wants to do just that. He continues to maintain he is innocent in all of this. Anderson. All right, Jim Costa, thanks very much. Joining us now you someone bet. who's seen this before and all that comes with
1: it in the Anita Hill Claire, Clarence Thomas face-off, Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represents the District of Columbia. Congresswoman Norton, in the letter from Ford's attorney, it says that Ford is willing to testify, provided they can agree on fair terms. What would fair terms look like, in your opinion, assuming, you know, because initially they had talked about having an FBI investigation. I'm assuming that's not what they're discussing at this point.
3: Well, I hope that's what they're discussing. If we could have an FBI investigation at the Anita Hill hearings, I don't know what's the difference here. I think they're making some progress with a, uh, a, a neutral lawyer asking the question so that neither side gets to grandstand here. But I'm not sure why we aren't engaging in regular order here. There needs to be some investigation. You don't throw people cold into a hearing. You don't have a swearing contest. You try to get at the truth. And the way to do that is to do an investigation. Now, The Anita Hill investigation was too short. But at least it was an investigation for several days. Uh, they need to they need to negotiate about the, the about the FBI and what and and what they're going to learn from the FBI and its sharing with both sides. If,
1: if there is no FBI investigation, which again there's no indication that there is going to be right now, it seems like the discussion is about what day this may be uh, and any security concerns that that uh, that Ford may have. Do you expect Chairman Grassley? to agree to hold a hearing later in the week rather than on Monday?
3: Well, I certainly expect later in the week because they've been able to come up with a reason why it has to be on Monday. Uh, so I, 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 I believe that the, the time is really not the issue now. It, it's really the circumstances the, uh, of the hearing, what, what's going on. Uh, What should go on. And I believe that's what's being discussed now. For example, um, who has interviewed um, uh, the therapist uh, who uh, Dr. Ford went to? Shouldn't she be talked to? Uh, It's interesting that Dr. Ford has gone so far as to take a polygraph. I wonder if Judge Kavanaugh is willing to take a polygraph. Uh, She's done a lot, it seems to me, to reinforce her credibility, uh, credibility that was not at issue when she took these steps. It seems to me that the FBI ought to be investigating that and telling the committee what they found.
1: CNN, as we talked about, we're reporting that Republicans are looking to bring in a female outside counsel to question forward if a hearing happens. Beyond just the optics of it, could it also be more effective in terms of getting closer to the truth. And do you think that person should also ask questions for the Democrats or do you think Democratic uh, senators should ask questions?
3: No, I think what sauce for the goose will go for the Democrats as well, if you'll forgive me. Uh, And I think having an outside counsel given how sensitive this is. Remember what we're talking about, Anderson. We're talking about an allegation and her side has used these words of attempted rape. We don't need anybody making points back home, whether on the Democratic side or the Republican side. If what we're trying to do is to find out what happened, because we're talking about uh, a lifetime appointment. Uh, we won't be able to do anything about it afterwards. We've got to do it now.
1: There, there it doesn't seem like there's anyone on the Republican side, though, on the committee talking about bringing in any other potential witnesses other than these two.
3: Well, uh, at, Anderson, you've got to do one of two things. You've got to have the FBI investigate these witnesses. Uh, for example, Mark Drudge, somebody's got to talk to him. Or you've got to have a real hearing where these people come before the public. Those are really the only two alternatives. Somebody's got to investigate those witnesses who are relevant to this hearing. You can have the FBI do it. They can then work with the committee or you can bring those witnesses before the committee. Now, if there is any other alternative, as a member of Congress, I don't know what it is.
1: As someone who advocated for Anita Hill, if Ford does, in fact, end up testifying, what advice would you give her going into it?
3: Uh, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think she uh, has been able, I think Dr. Ford has been able to tell her story to professionals, that is to say, to a therapist. She uh, apparently spoke to her own congresswoman and told her story there. She is herself a, apparently, very intelligent professional. So I would just say to her, tell it straight. Tell it the way you've been telling it to others who say they believe you.
1: Congressman Norton, appreciate your time. Thank you. I want to broaden the conversation back with us tonight is former federal judge Nancy Gertner. She's now a lecturer at Harvard University's Law School, also CNN political analyst Gloria Borger and David Gergen. Judge, uh, judge uh, Gertner, when you hear these new details about the negotiations uh, between the committee and Professor, Professor Ford's lawyer, how much do you, uh, you read into that? It's still up to Chairman Gr- Grassley whether he'll push back the Monday hearing.
4: Well, I mean, I think that it's good that she's saying she's going to come to the hearing. I think that, it, that she left herself open if she said, uh, without X or Y, without the FBI investigation, she's not going to come. But I want to, I want to underscore what, what the Congresswoman said, which is that um, uh, a hearing without other witnesses and a hearing without investigation uh, is, sounds like an appeasement to the Me Too movement. In other words, it sounds very much like, hey, we'll hear from you, now let's vote. In other words, there's no... They'll be searching entry of her, but the, there's the, the, it becomes, he said, she said, more than it already is, where there may be other witnesses that you're not going to. So it then relies on you know, a, a, a high-status male being accused by a lower-status female. And, and that really, forgive me, is an empty ritual at this point. Having other witnesses is one thing. Having an investigation is another thing. This is really, thank you very much for appearing. Uh, Now let's vote.
1: Gloria, the notion that that Republicans on the committee might retain a female outside counsel to question for it. And and again, Mm -hmm. unclear whether that would be in in public or in private. How much political strategy would be behind that? move?
5: Well, it's all, uh, look, it's all political. I mean, they're not dumb. (laughs) They understand that you have all of these, uh, White men uh, who would be questioning uh, this woman that there is no female to ask questions, and that it would it the optics of it would look terrible and you know from the from the from the other point of view, you know, if I were uh, Professor Ford, I might rather be questioned by the committee <laughs> to to be honest uh, <laughs> in many ways because perhaps uh, she would be able to handle uh, the political questions with just with her story, whereas uh, a practiced attorney uh, might be better at it than the members of the committee. So, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, they have to, you know, on this phone call today and I've been talking to a couple of sources about it. It was a good call. But there are lots of issues that need to be resolved. I mean, if there is a if there is an attorney on one side, would there be an attorney on another side for the Democrats, for example, who would go first? Uh, how long would they be given? Uh, you know, there's, there's still a lot that needs to be resolved, and there's no way, and everybody knows it, that they could have done it by Monday.
1: And David, it certainly seems like there is no appetite, certainly on the part of the Republicans, to have an FBI investigation at this point.
6: None zero. Uh, I think what we do know Anderson is they have entered negotiations and both sides seem to want to get to yes. So I think the chances are much higher tonight that she's actually going to come and testify
1: even if it's later in the week.
6: Even if yeah. and, and that I would assume Chairman Grassley as part of that would do it later in the week. But there's no indication of any give on witnesses coming in, and there's, and very importantly, no no give on the idea of having a real investigation before you get there. It's just hard to know how you can put two people and and conclude what's the truth if you have no real information about what other parties say. What the what the you know you you need to hear from a variety of people under under oath. So I think it does come down to uh, he said she said, which which means. They're going to vote, and he's going to have it. He's going to win. Uh, I do think also on the council, the outside council, it's important to distinguish. This is somebody they're bringing in who's going to be on their side. Right. Mm -hmm. Who's trying to impugn uh, and to discredit. This
1: would not be a neutral. This is
6: not a neutral arbiter, Right. They're looking for somebody who can do, uh, do, do. And so the Democrats may be well advised to do that. But on the other hand. They've got some people who are pretty experienced, and they've got women of their own mm-hmm. who can ask questions. So I'm not sure they need to duplicate that. Um, but I, what, I, what is also really striking is the disproportionate amount of power coming into this. Mm-hmm. I mean, here Kavanaugh goes into the White House every day, and he has hours and mm-hmm. hours test you know a prepared testimony he's got a whole you know the Republicans on the hill right you know they control a lot of this and so it, in some ways it's going to be a David and versus Goliath or Christine versus Goliath and that'll be very tough for her but she may be more and more sympathetic character as a result
1: mm. judge I mean one of the things that, that remains unclear tonight is what if any investigation i mean it just doesn't seem like there will be any investigation into, into the allegations
4: but, but that's significant. I mean, I, I just want to step back and say, so there are, there are three choices here. One is to have an investigation, and no one in any court ever gets on the stand without a private investigation, depositions, discovery. Nobody except on Judge Judy does that. So that would be one option which they've now rejected. The other would be to have other witnesses so that it is not just he said, she said, and that's rejected. Now you're talking about sort of the classic troubling... Scene where yes, you're having her testify, having him testify, but as as David Gergen indicated, this is this is unequal at the start, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no there's no outside context. I, I can't I can't emphasize enough how unusual it is to simply have people you know confront their accuser with no other evidence other than, you know, essentially their own words. Maybe there is no such evidence out there, but it seems to me we have to look at that before we proceed with this. Yeah. I also have to admit that this stuff about talking about the optics, we should be talking about getting to the truth. Right. I
5: I totally agree with you. But you've also got to presume that that the staffs of the committees are doing their own internal investigations. Got- the outside groups are doing are doing investigations. They're digging as hard as they can to find out whatever they can. And I would presume that if the Democrats do their own questioning, that uh, there will there they, they will be you know, they will have their own information that they will then ask uh, Judge Kavanaugh about. So what I think we would see coming out at this hearing would be uh, sort of information that people have culled while we've been waiting for this to get started without really an official FBI or, or uh, investigation, mm. which is what they should have had in the first place. I,
6: I, I right. think that there's a, a real chance that each side will introduce ideas yeah. or conspiracies about the other side that are unresolved exactly. but that push the public in one direction or another and we do know that the you know the white house forces are very clever at this yeah and that's why i think i think she's i mean it's extraordinarily brave of her to come in and do this because you know she's paid this personal price already but the odds of winning this kind of argument unless she can appeal to people's sense of She really is a victim here. She really is being ganged up
1: on. Yeah, we're going to take a break, continue the conversation. Also, we're going to talk more about the details of when, where, how. We'll hear from Judge Kavanaugh and his accuser, which are still very much in flux, the latest on what we know. Also ahead tonight, breaking news in the Mueller investigation. New word tonight about the time the Mueller team is spending with the president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, and what they're talking about.
0: Visit Zenny today at Zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN.
1: Continuing the conversation, the breaking news, the parameter is still evolving of new testimony in the Brett Kavanaugh fight back with uh, Judge Nancy Gertner, David Gergen, uh, and Gloria Borger as well. Gloria, I understand you have some new information.
5: Yes, um, Manu Raju uh, also has some new information, and I do as well, that, um, that Professor Ford uh, really doesn't want to be questioned by outside counsel. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, and she would like senators to question her instead. Uh, she doesn't want it to turn into some kind of a trial where she's being questioned by an attorney like that. And that she um, she does uh, not want to testify in the same room uh, as, as Judge Kavanaugh. She doesn't want to be in the same room with him at the same time. And uh, that, and Manu uh, is also reporting that she wants the committee to subpoena Mark Judge and these other alleged witnesses. And um, and so those are just some new details uh, we're both learning this evening.
1: Judge, what do you make of, of that?
4: Well, I mean, I think that the, the uh, I mean, candidly, with all due respect to the senators, they're not as good questioners as a lawyer would be. Uh, even the Ju- the senators that are lawyers are not as good questioners as someone who is a, uh, a litigator would be. So, um, uh, I mean, that's an interesting choice. You wind up with uh, less probing and more awkward questioning that way. Do you think that's a reason? Um, do
1: you, what, what do you think her reasoning would be on, on that? I, under, I mean, you could make the argument that A, she doesn't want a, a sort of a, an accusatory prosecutor type on the Republican side asking her questions. Right. The other side of it is some might argue. She wants the visual of you know uh, you know sen- male senators of a certain age asking awkward questions
4: right I mean i if, if it's the latter, then it's a political decision if it's the former, I can understand it as a, uh, a an issue of comfort um, uh, more than anything else. but you know the other thing is that what we're what we're heading for is a hyper partisan hearing without a judge. <laughs> I hate to sort of tout that, but there's no one there to say, hey, that's an inappropriate question or that's going too far, except the partisans on both sides. Well, and and, and let me
5: just add this, uh, Anderson, from, from a source I just heard from, that one of the reasons I believe that she doesn't want to be questioned by outside counsel is that the, uh, she believes that senators should be accountable for the questions that they're going to ask. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the... the the burden should be on them to ask the questions they want to ask and not an outside counsel who is a professional at doing this and let them be accountable uh, to the American public. She is going to be accountable to the American public for what she says. They should be accountable as well.
6: Hmm. David? I, I just don't know how this is going to be seen as anything other, other than a trial. Both are going to be have to make persuasive arguments. So I'm not, I just don't agree with her on that point. Uh, it does seem to me there may be a compromise, and that is each side can select three senators or four senators to represent anybody, mm-hmm. everybody. You know, the stories are not that long. You know? mm-hmm. uh, and it's not going to take that long to question these people. I think a more relevant question is, what is the order? You know, I would think it's probably advisable to go second if you can. But then, do you, does, if, if the hmm. first person is questioned, then the other person goes. Then do they get rebuttals? Hmm. How do they keep each other out of the room at the same time? Do they take little recesses and bring people back? I think those are going to be important questions as well. I mean, uh, as is, as
7: are the,
4: ahead, as are the questions about as are the questions about subpoenaing other witnesses. Yeah. Again, you make this. This is already a he said, she said. But you make it a stark he said, she said when all you have are the two antagonists and not other witnesses and other circumstances.
1: We're, we're also learning, according to CNN, that she wants no time limit on her opening statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gloria, is that what you're hearing?
5: <laughs> yeah, uh, this is uh, actually that's Manu's. Uh, that's Manu's reporting. That uh, you know they have to. They have to choreograph these things, as you know. Uh, down to the minute or else, or else, uh, you know, everything can go awry. And clearly in telling her story, it would seem to me reading between the lines on Manu's reporting here is that she wants to be able to tell her story as she recollects it and tell everything about it and tell how it has affected her life. And so, you know, usually in congressional hearings, there are time limits, uh, about testimony. And I think this is this is one of the things that her she and her advisors have said. If she's going to do this and she's going to appear before Congress and the world, she wants to be able to tell it all.
1: Uh, and David, we're learning also The Washington Post is reporting that Thursday is a potential date.
6: Yeah, that that seems to be a fair to, to, uh, to compromise. And, and it's good for Senator Grassley for moving in that direction. But having said that, it's going to be Thursday. You know, there are several days now, between now and Thursday, when they could be doing background investigation. Right. And they could be collecting evidence under oath. So, you know, it's still, I mean, that's still the relevant question.
1: But but if it was to be an FBI background investigation, that would be something that would have to come from the White House.
6: Yes, and it has to come right away. But it it gives you ample time. If it took three days to do the Anita Hill background investigation, why can't they do this essentially in three days?
1: Uh, Judge, do you think there is... If they do, say, Thursday, then the pressure bills to try to have some sort of background investigation?
4: I I think so. I mean, it also is the fairest approach. That's what I was saying before, Uh, is that, you know, uh, there are three alternatives here, which is which is uh, FBI uh, witnesses or just one on one. And they've chosen the least fair approach to either side.
1: Uh, Gloria, I mean, okay, so Thursday, the potential date. Uh, no time limit. We're hearing uh, the, 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 um, the professor would like no time limit on her right. opening statement. I assume then if that was the case, then Judge Kavanaugh would have no time limit on, on his opening statement. David raises the point, though, about you know, rebuttals. Would they be able to respond and, and who goes first? There's, you know, there's still are, many questions to be worked out.
5: Yeah, these are these are things that need to be worked out. And I think David raises a great point, which is uh, while you're working out all the logistics, Why not actually uh, have investigators talk to witnesses? You know, this isn't you know, this happened a long time ago, more than 30 years ago. It's not like you have to go through five million text messages between kids. You know, this is (laughs) this is a a, a more limited kind of investigation. So while they work out one thing, why can't they do two things at the same time? I mean, it it would it would seem to me that they are. They're able to do that if the president would say, yeah, maybe maybe we ought to do it um, rather than rather than rather than letting that go by the boards, because she has made it very clear that this is what she would prefer. But if she doesn't get that. It seems to me she wants to be able to tell her story yeah. in full.
1: Gloria Borger, uh, Judge Nancy Gertner, David Gergen, thank you very much. Coming up You're next right. tonight's other big breaking uh, story: reports that Michael Cohen and Robert Mueller's prosecutors have been talking a lot about a lot. Late details, the possible legal impact, and more when we continue.
0: Remember to create an ad like this one. Visit purewinning.com/cnn.
1: There's more breaking news tonight. could be very big indeed because the person at the center of it was for a crucial period so close to Donald Trump. We're talking about President Trump's former attorney, fixer, confidant Michael Cohen, reportedly speaking with Russia's special counsel Robert Mueller's team recently and repeatedly, according to the New York Times, citing two people with knowledge of the sessions. Now, talking, according to ABC News, about some of the president's hottest of hot-button issues and reddest of red lines, including his financial and business dealings and any allegations about collusion with Russia by the Trump campaign... In the election. In a moment, perspective from a former top federal prosecutor, but right now on the phone, CNN political analyst in New York Times White House correspondent, Maggie Haberman. Maggie, what more do you know about the scope of what the Mueller team had been talking about with Cohen?
8: My understanding, Anderson, is it's a pretty wide range. Um, it, I think, has covered uh, areas related to the campaign, it has covered uh, areas related to President Trump's business. Now, remember, Michael Cohen was not on the campaign. Uh, in fact he spent extremely little time there. He was uh, not welcomed by most of Trump's campaign advisors, but he certainly has a window into a bunch of the Trump campaign uh, excuse me the Trump business activities, among them uh, a Trump Tower Moscow project that he himself had tried to get off the ground at one point that was uh, scuttled at the, the beginning of uh, uh, 2016. Um, but I you know typically speaking in these kinds of meetings that, that witnesses have had with the special counsel's office. There have not been limits, certainly, on the kinds of things that they're being asked about. And Michael Cohen, I think, can provide a variety of information. The question is going to be whether Cohen finds it, not, excuse me, Mueller finds it valuable. Whether Mueller believes that it either provides new information or whether it backs up uh, other information that he's already received. But. Um, you know, it, it is, it's yet another brick in that what seems to be this case that Mueller is building toward a likely report uh, to Congress.
1: I, I can't imagine that this comes as much of a shock to the president.
8: I don't think so. I mean, Michael Cohen's advisor, Lanny Cohen, had been, uh, excuse me, Lanny Davis, this is quite a night for me in terms of names. Uh, Lanny Davis had been uh, on TV making very clear uh, that uh, Cohen had information that he was willing to give Mueller, that he, uh, had stories to tell. They were all but, you know, sticking up a, uh, an auction paddle saying, talk to me, uh, both before and after the plea. So I don't think this surprises anyone. And I think that there is a question of if Cohen provides valuable information for any of these investigations, could he see a reduced sentence? I think that is, is certainly something that his advisors are, are looking toward. But no, I mean, I think that, I think the president feels under siege by a lot of these things. Um, uh, but I, I don't, I don't suspect any of this is a surprise to him at this
1: point. You've also written extensively about the relationship between Michael Cohen, I mean, sometimes torture relationship between Michael Cohen and then citizen Donald Trump.
8: Yeah, I, look, uh, President Trump, as as Roger Stone, um, another Trump uh, longtime advisor, had put it to me uh, for a story I did several months ago, uh, President Trump went out of his way to treat Michael Cohen like, quote unquote, garbage, garbage. Um, now, uh, Trump is not exactly, uh, easy on anyone as, as, as we all know from our reporting. Um, but he, he could be particularly tough with Cohen. Uh, Trump's allies and current advisors would say that's because Cohen had, um, you know, made some errors and made some mistakes that, that the president was unhappy with, then candidate Trump and then before that businessman Trump was unhappy with. Um, but he was very tough on him. And, you know, unfortunately Trump has this sort of, one-way loyalty uh, that he exhibits with his age, he expects it, and he, he often doesn't give it in return. And I think that you are going to see potentially some of that playing out uh, in cooperation mm-hmm. with
1: investigators. Maggie Haberman, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Let's get some insight now from CNN yeah. senior legal analyst Preet Before being fired by President Trump, he served as a U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, where Michael Cohen took his guilty plea. With Cohen cooperating with Mueller, what doors does this open for Mueller? I mean, we don't know, obviously. What, if anything, Cohen has on President
9: Trump? We don't, but we have some, you know, basis to think that there's a bunch. In at least three categories, we have, you know, what he said at his plea agreement, his plea proceeding, where he said, basically, I committed a campaign finance violation at the direction of the president, uh, Trump. Uh, We also know that he might have some information, or at least we can suspect he might have some information that may not carry the day on whether or not Donald Trump obstructed justice. If he was close to his lawyer, and we see from some recorded conversations... That he had a lot of discussions with his lawyer about things he might not have talked, to, uh, talked about with other people. Um, there's that bucket. And then there's what has been reported, that Michael Cohen may know a lot about Donald Trump's endeavors, business and otherwise, in Russia. So, you know, we don't know, right. but we know he's talking a lot. And he has some reason to try to provide as much information as possible because it helps him. I mean, it is
1: particularly remarkable, especially on the heels of Paul Manafort cooperating uh, also, obviously, Michael Flynn, Gates. I mean, all the Papadopoulos, all these people who have been around the president. I mean, the sheer number of people who Mueller has turned is pretty
9: extraordinary. I, I think he's, he's basically um, gotten everybody. Uh, I've, I've said recently that, that based on the Mueller track record, and I don't think Mueller goes after someone unless he knows he has the goods. And if you read the documents in these cases, they're really strong, you know, not just giving you know, little bits of information about why someone is guilty of a crime. They're what we call speaking charges, you know, speaking indictments. Mm. And they are, even the ones against the folks, like, like for example, at the GRU, the, the folks in Russia who were charged with various crimes, uh, who will never, never going to get in the country, never going to be able to slap cuffs on. The detail in these charging documents is such that I think Mueller appreciates, uh, even more than the average prosecutor, the importance of public, the public having confidence that he's bringing cases that are well-grounded in fact.
1: According to this report, also, they have discussed whether or not anyone uh, around the president uh, had broached the idea of a pardon. Yeah. And if a pardon was broached, what is the significance? I mean, is that a possible
9: obstruction? Look, look we have, you have to be careful about what conclusions you draw from the questions that prosecutors ask. And I know everybody wants to jump to the conclusion. But I'll tell you, when we were in conference rooms with cooperating witnesses uh, and the people who work for me were doing the same thing, you go through a checklist and you ask about the thing that you think is most likely true, mm. right? And, but then you go, you know, concentric circles around sort the core of what you're looking at with that person. I'm not saying this is that, but you ask a lot of questions of people that may be a little bit out of left field mm. just to make sure that you've covered your bases. And so it is possible that they're close to bringing some kind of case that involves obstruction and that's at the heart of what they're looking at and, and what they're asking uh, Michael Cohen about. But it's also possible... That it's at the periphery, and they're just covering their bases. Because I think it would be irresponsible. I think any witness right. who comes across their desk, they have to ask questions about obstruction. You, just, you have to do that for exhaustive purposes. But uh, Cohen's
1: participation in this has been voluntary. Why, what's in it for him? Whole, it, it, that's sort of odd,
9: uh-huh. um, given that he's sort of playing around in three jurisdictions. You don't have that that often. Uh, you know, it happens from time to time. You share a cooperating witness. but
1: Meaning you think he, uh, it, normally he would try to get something out of it well, before cooperating?
9: Yeah, you usually have a deal with the office with whom you're trying to cooperate, and usually you work all that out. If there are multiple offices who have a basis for an investigation in an organized crime family or in a corporate fraud or anything else, usually that all gets worked out in advance, or everyone knows what the promises are, everyone knows what they can expect, everyone knows um, what the prosecutor is going to argue for, even if the prosecutor can't guarantee a lenient sentence because that's up to a judge.
1: The fact that Cohen has had these interviews, does that make it any less likely or more likely that the president might actually sit down with Mueller? I mean, it would seem like the more Mueller, the less it would be likely the president would sit down. I I
9: I think my sense of the, we're talking about likelihood in the sort of one to 2% range. I think the likelihood of the president sitting down is, is fairly close to zero. Um, I don't know that that, you know, particular factor would play in at all. Preparar,
1: fascinating. Thank you.
9: Thank you.
1: Well, coming out back to our other breaking story, the emerging details around the possible testimony, professor Christine Blasey uh, Ford, and a reaction to the story from a group of Republican women in Florida. You might be surprised what they have to say. You'll hear from them next.
9: You know, my- I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365. And
0: on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's highest battle. I've been
5: just trying to improve all facets of my game. Just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways. Shooting the ball, I think that's improved. And uh, just my playmaking ability as
9: well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
1: We're now in tonight's top story. What Christine Blasey Ford's legal team wants as conditions for her testimony against Brett Kavanaugh. They want Thursday as the date not to have Judge Kavanaugh in the room with her at the same time. And questioning by senators, not outside counsel. Of course, the question hanging over all of this is will be about credibility and believability. Randy Kaye spoke with a group of Republican women in Florida.
10: A show of hands, how many of you believe Judge Kavanaugh when he says this didn't happen?
11: I believe him. I do believe him. I, I believe, him. believe him. How can right. we believe the word of a woman of something that happened 36 years ago when this guy has an impeccable reputation? Was it wasn't nobody, she- nobody that has spoken ill will about him. Everyone exactly. that speaks about him, this guy's an altar boy. You know, a scout, he's, you know, because one woman made an allegation.
7: Sorry, I don't buy it.
12: But in the grand scheme of things, my goodness, you, there was no intercourse.
10: There
11: was maybe a touch.
10: Right. Can we really? 36 <laughs> years later,
11: she's no, still stuck on that? Herself.
10: Had it happened?
11: I mean, we're talking about a 15 year old girl, which I
8: respect. You know, I'm a woman, I respect. And we're talking about a 17 year old boy in high school with testosterone running high. Tell me what boy hasn't done this in high school? Please, I would like to know.
10: Why would she come forward if this wasn't true? Because it has basically destroyed her family. She's had to move. She's gone undercover. She's gotten death threats. Um, so if she's lying, why come forward? She's also destroying his life, his mm-hmm. wife's mm-hmm. lives, yes.
1: his children's yeah. lives, mm-hmm. his Daughters. career.
10: Mm-hmm. I mean, why did she come out sooner if she's
8: telling the truth? Why didn't she come out when he was going into the Bush White House? Why didn't she come out when he's been a federal judge so for over good. a decade
10: why not have a thorough investigation instead of just the two of them he said she said because it doesn't happened? matter it does not matter what everyone else has to say this is what happened though with clarence thomas and anita hill the fbi investigated it took three days done why not now well
8: this is not the same this is a high school kid i mean it's not a anita hill story
10: does something that allegedly happened some 30 plus years ago matter today
8: you can't judge the character of a man based on what he did at 17. And I would hate to think that 30, 40 years later somebody's going to destroy your life because somewhere, Something. at some party, you, it's not right, but maybe you touch somebody... The way you're and not who supposed brought the to. alcohol for these and kids?
10: As women, though, do you have some sympathy for her for what she's going through? No, I have no sympathy. And perhaps maybe she, at that moment she liked him, and maybe he didn't
8: pay attention to her afterwards, and he
11: went out she with bitter. another girl, and she got bitter, or whatever Sorry. the situation is. They're kids.
10: If it is true, would it be okay with you if he became a justice on the Supreme Court?
8: As long as that's an isolated uh, incident, yes. He was seventeen. He was not even an adult, and we all made mistakes at 17. I believe in a second chance.
11: I'd be more than okay with him being a Supreme Court judge. If the person made a mistake, and they move on, and they have been a good human being, you know, who are we to judge?
1: Well, joining me now for Perspective, CNN political analyst and USA Today columnist Kirsten Powers, also Carrie Severino, chief counsel and policy director of the Judicial Crisis Network, which supports the Kavanaugh nomination. Kirsten, I'm wondering uh, what you make of what you heard from from that group of women uh, who believe Judge Kavanaugh.
12: Well, I mean, I just want to say this idea that any 17-year-old, you know, has done this is just completely incorrect. It's not I went to high school. I actually went to a private Jesuit high school. It wasn't all boys the way Georgetown Prep was. It was co-ed. But, you know, uh, this was not the way the boys that I went to high school behaved. And it's it's not normal behavior. So we have to be very careful about saying that, especially to teenagers today. We don't want them to think that this is normal behavior uh, for teenage boys. I do agree that you don't, uh, want to hold a person to everything they've done as a teenager and that people absolutely can do bad things when they're teenagers and turn into great members of society. I, 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 don't, I don't question that at all. But if this happened... I do think that it's not it, 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 the Supreme Court is such a rarefied position to be a Supreme Court justice in this society and you are being a judge on the highest court in the land and you are held to a different standard than other people are. So so I think you can both say that yes someone can make a mistake when they're 17 years old and it doesn't have to haunt them for the rest of their life and also say but you know they probably
11: shouldn't be on the Supreme Court.
1: Carrie, I mean, what, what do you make of the, the the woman who said, "Tell me what boy hasn't done this in, in high school"? Did, did that concern you? I,
11: I it, that it is a little concerning. I fear it all it is all too common. I mean, I have friends who've had similar experiences happen to them, but I still don't think. I mean, if if, it, if there was attempted rape going on here, that obviously is something that should be taken very seriously and not discounted simply because it's old. Uh, that said, I think all the evidence is pointing to the fact that Brett Kavanaugh did was not. Involved here. I mean, it, what what the experience she describes is horrible, but I think we're seeing more and more people coming saying, you know, the, the the people that have been identified there so far. We had another one, P.J. Smith, who said, I was identified as being at that party, and I could tell you, I was never at a party like that with Brett Kavanaugh. This is this is not like what 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 uh, I knew him to be. So that you know, and of course, you couple that with all of the dozens of women who said they knew him at the time, uh, it doesn't add up with him. His repeated and adamant and very confident uh denial saying this is this was not me i think it's it's uh you know the evidence points to the fact that it actually wasn't
1: you know kirsten one of the arguments that that some of the the women uh, that randy talked to made is that why now why didn't she come forward with this earlier brett kavanaugh has been you know in the public eye he's he's gone through confirmation hearings and and had background investigations in the past
12: yeah it 's distressing to me to hear people saying that after we 've what we 've gone through with me too because I feel like this issue has been covered so thoroughly that this is very standard for women who have been uh, victimized through you know sexual trauma and, and sexual harassment for that matter that they feel Ashamed, they feel like something's wrong with them. They feel that maybe they caused it. They're, they they fear they won't be believed. They fear that that they'll be ostracized if they if they come out. And so there's there's a lot of fear involved. And so there's a lot of good reasons actually to not bring it up. And we have to remember that especially during this era, it just was absolutely not an environment where where a woman or a girl would feel like she could bring this up and be heard uh, and taken
1: seriously. Carrie, I'm wondering what you make of the reporting tonight that we're hearing that uh, Professor Ford does not want uh, uh, an outside counsel by the Republicans to be the female outside counsel, be the person questioning her or even a a staff counsel uh, that she wants the questions to come from senators. Do you see that as reasonable? Do you see that as political?
11: You know, I'm not sure what, what 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 the logic is. There are several of those uh, of the we just had reports of all the different demands she's making. That don't, that one I don't, I'm not sure I understand because if you've watched those hearings uh, previously, and frankly, any confirmation hearing. Senators, having the senators do it means you don't have a continuous line of questioning. You've got people overlapping. It's very, it's very hard to follow. Frankly, the senators aren't very good questioners. And I think some people have suggested, well, it's going to be harder questioning from a lawyer. I'm not sure that's that's clear. We've seen some, we saw some very aggressive questioning at the Kavanaugh hearing recently. I I I liked the idea. And and I think the first I saw of it was Senator Collins suggesting it a couple days ago of saying, let's have her lawyers uh, question Kavanaugh and let's have Kavanaugh's lawyers question her. And I think that would probably provide a more coherent line of of talented questioners. But I do know that Chairman Grassley has tried to be as accommodating as possible of all of her requests. Um, And uh, he's, you know, he's offered so many different ways to do this hearing, whether it's confidential, whether it's public, whether it's in California or in D.C. or, uh, you know, with cameras, without. So I'm sure they will make every effort Hmm. to to be as accommodating as they can.
1: uh, Got to go here. Uh, Kirsten Powers. Thank you. Carrie Severino as well. One quick note now about a CNN special you don't want to miss, especially now. Take a look.
0: One year ago, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico. The president claims the recovery efforts were a huge success.
2: I think we did a fantastic job in Puerto Rico. CNN
0: has
6: the real story.
3: What do you want people to know? Please come clean this a little bit more, more safety for us.
6: A decorated combat veteran with a baby. Living in a tent.
7: People get nervous of a possible
4: storm. The truth is that people died because the Trump administration did not pay attention.
0: CNN special report, Storm of Controversy. What really happened in Puerto Rico, tomorrow night at
9: 10. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes Analyst, Richard Jefferson, on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like... All I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: This Sunday, the CNN original series, This Is Life with Lisa Ling, returns for an all-new season. Lisa takes us to the front lines of the battle against MS-13, one of the most feared street gangs in America. A gang of violent animals is how President Trump often describes them. He's pledged to dismantle it and deport members back to Central America, where it has some of its roots. Lisa Ling joins me tonight with more details. In this episode, you look at Ms. Thirteen, and you, you, in particular, tell the story of a of a young girl from Virginia who was murdered by, by Ms. Thirteen. It's it's so. I mean, the ages of the people involved on you know the victims and and even the people in the gang. It, they're, these are young people, often.
7: Yeah, Ms. Thirteen has been around for a long time. It's a gang that started in the eighties and and has been uh, on the East Coast since then. Um, what's different? now is over the last couple of years, there's been this wave of unaccompanied minors who have showed up uh, on our border and they're vulnerable kids. Um, Most of them have experienced severe trauma because their, their home countries have been decimated and are devastated by by street gangs like MS-13. They come here. Some of them haven't been with their family members for years and years. Um, they, they, they they don't fit in. And they're just looking for a place to belong. And they're placed and, and
1: in communities, whether it's Virginia or, or Long Island and
7: parts of Boston. Right. And they're not able to, to deal with this population. And so These gang members come to exploit those vulnerabilities. Mm. And, and yes, they are, they are very young. It's kids attacking kids. And, The Trump administration would like us to believe that MS-13 is this transatlantic criminal uh, enterprise. But the reality is that while there are many members of MS-13, it's very disorganized. Um, They don't actually make a lot of money. You can't even compare them to sophisticated drug trafficking uh, organizations. And they prey on young, vulnerable kids.
1: Yeah, and the violence, I mean, that we've seen in some communities in Long Island. It's horrific. horrific. It is horrific. Horrific. Um, What are are some of the other uh, things you're going to be focusing on this season?
7: So we'll be looking at the scourge of methamphetamines Mm -hmm. that have been overtaking um, many states, including Oklahoma. We have an episode about gender fluidity, and Mm -hmm. I'm really, really excited about that one because we are in the midst of this unprecedented gender revolution that's being led by kids and these kids are are uh, very open about the fact that they don't feel entirely male or female they're sort of like this this third gender and if they're they're just they they speak about it very insightfully and um and, and and their family members the ones we profiled, at mm-hmm. least, have been so accepting. So it's a really fascinating mm-hmm. and exciting kind of kind of episode and movement that's happening.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I look forward to the whole season, Lisa. Thanks, so good Luke. to see you. Great to see you, Lisa Ling. Don't miss the season premiere of This Is Life with Lisa Ling on Sunday evening after Anthony Bourdain: Parts Unknown. Quick reminder: Check out our Full Circle, our daily uh, interactive newscast on Facebook that we just started, where you pick some of the stories we cover. You can see it weeknights, 6:25 p.m. Eastern, at Facebook.com/slash/AndersonCooper. Full circle. The news continues. I want to hand it over to Chris. Cuomo Prime Time starts now. Chris.